Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast presented by Freedom Life Church. We hope you find today's message uplifting and encouraging as we dive into God's Word together. If you need any information about our church or this message, please go to wearefreedomlife.com. Now let's get right into it. I want to talk here for a moment. I want to kind of hit a pause button on our current um, series about the invisible battle that we're facing and just kind of pause for a week as we talk about uh, here on Father's Day morning, as we talk about a godly inheritance, a godly inheritance here on this Father's Day. So let me ask this question. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I say it's very, very difficult to buy for fathers. That's how come some of you have given some of the most beautiful ties and some of the most ugliest ties. I don't know what that looks like. I, I'm so blessed to be able to have a family that kind of gets me, but sometimes it's very difficult to buy for people. How many realize it's hard to buy for certain people in your life? And so a recent poll came out, and it was uh, based on the, the idea of the fathers and how difficult it is to buy for fathers. And so as they had, um, as this poll went out, they, they, they kind of gave reasons for that. And maybe some of you can understand what, what I'm talking about when I say this, but perhaps it's difficult to buy for that person you love, that father, that, that spouse, that person. Uh, maybe because that person has so many things already, you don't know what to give them. Or maybe because they're extremely picky. Right? That could be it. I'm not sure because they're extremely picky about what they have. Or you have just thought of every single thing over the last years. You're thinking, I don't know what to get them. There's a lot of different things that can cause someone a little bit of stress in buying something for maybe that special loved one. Well, some men realize that they're hard to buy for and they'll give you a hint. How many know somebody that they're like, hey, for, for Father's Day this year or for my birthday this year or for Christmas this year? How many get hints? You're like, please give me a hint. How many need hints sometimes? Raise your hand if you need hints sometimes. Sometimes you need Some of you are like detectives throughout the year. Like you have a special notepad somewhere where you're like, they said they like this. And they're like, and you will buy it for them down the line as a secret thing. Like, oh, I want to surprise them. But some of you don't think that far ahead. Some of you are like, like four hours before, you're like, what do I get him? What do I get her? What do I get him? But when it comes to gifts, one of the greatest gifts we could ever give is a godly inheritance. One of the greatest gifts that we can give is a godly inheritance. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, turn in your your Bibles to the book, of Job. Job is an interesting man because I need us to understand it's important that we honor the priestly role in the household. How many would agree with that? The fathers are that priestly role in the household, and, and these men should be respected for being more than just a parent, 
But that man should be an influence to a generation. So if you would, as we look at Job for a moment, many of you like, when I said Job, some of you said, wait, Father's Day message and Job. How many thought that already? Raise, be honest. Be honest. Some of you like Job. Wait, what? Okay, I'm so glad because maybe I'm going to break out the box a little bit this morning because what I don't want to do, as I talk about this man in the Bible, I want us to open this text in such a way that's a little different. So if you would allow me this morning, I want us to focus in on the first five verses of the very first book. See, because what I need us to understand is before Job had a child, Job had a life. Listen, just like you, you shouldn't be defined by the trial you face. But unfortunately, many of us in this room, when I said open up the book of Job, you were like, how is that Father's Day? And some of you already, like, questioned it. Right? Some of you said, uh, this is weird already. This is just strange. But before Job could be tried by fire, Job had a fire in him already. So let's talk about it for a moment. Job chapter 1, and again, I'm only reading five verses, the first five verses of Job. And let's dive into what I'm talking about this morning. In the land of Uz, there lived a man, or Uz, as the correct text would, would actually pronounce it. There lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep. <laughs> 3,000 camels. I don't know what they make. I won't try. 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people in the east. Verse 4. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes of their, on their birthdays. And they would invite three sisters, their three sisters, to eat and drink with them. Verse 5. When a period of feasting had had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Let me stop right there. Many of you define Job by his trials. No one should ever be defined by the trials that they go through, but how they go through them. Many people look at Job and they say, this man had been through this and that and this and that, but they never talk about who Job was. They never talk about how this man did these offerings. How many times have you heard a sermon on how good of a father Job was? This man created opportunities. One thing I want to make clear this morning is that we look at Job and most of us look through the eyes of the trial instead of through the eyes of the father. There's a reason why Job 
was put out there as, have you noticed my servant Job? Now, for the sake of this message this morning, I'm not going to go in at all as about the trial. I'm not going to go through all of the other texts that clearly some of us know about how he lost so much in his life and he went through so much in his life. I don't want to go into that. That's not fitting the context. What I really want to focus on for these next few moments here this morning is the first five verses that define Job as his character. Because, friends, you won't go before God as a child. You'll go before God as a person. And his person was a good one. Job was one of those heroes that you don't hear about in the Bible very often. So when I talk about a godly inheritance, some of you may picture other heroes in the Bible, but I'm telling you what, the more and more I read these five verses over and over again, I look at a man that could have been very cocky because he had a lot. He was a character. We look at Job and we see evidence that he was blessed by God. He had 10 children. And let me tell you something. During those days, to have many offspring was a sign of blessing. And he had many children, verse 2. He had thousands of domesticated animals, verse 3. Many servants as well. And his wealth was well documented. And everyone knew who he was. Are you with me? It's very easy to know a man who's rich, but very difficult to find a man who is rich and humble. Job had everything a man in his day could ask for. In fact, he, was, he has such a large, healthy family, great wealth and high standing in the community. Watch this. It was visible and it was public. But yet, despite his influence in the community, Job took time to faithfully serve God in the priestly role of his family. And that, my friends, is invisible and private. I'm going to say that again. While everybody saw the visible and the public, who Job really was, was invisible and private. What made him who he was, was not defined by what was visible and public to everybody else. What made him who he was, was invisible and private. Something he did privately when he realized, my children may have sinned, so let me put an offering out just in case. It reminds me of how when my children have sleepovers at our house and, and, and you know, we're kind of out and, and we're getting things around and it's, it's almost close to, quote, bedtime, at least for us. They're going to stay up till three or four or five or, or all night, you know. But, but my wife would put out and she would pull out a couple blankets and pillows and put this on the side and say, hey, here, we're going to put this right here just in Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? And so when I put this over here, just in case. And so I'm going to put this here because you may need it. You may not. You know what Job did? Job said, I'm going to, I don't know if they sinned. I don't know if they did something wrong, but I want to pray to the Father. I want to pray a special prayer and put out an offering just case. Here's a man that had the spiritual eyes to see for his children what many people probably overlooked. 
So, Scripture introduces Job as a couple of things, if you would here. Number one, blameless and upright. Number two, a man of high moral character. Number three, a devout, faithful man to the Lord. Yet, he was not without sin. He was human, but he loved God, and he loved the Father, and he loved his children, and he did all that he did to continue to bring a godly inheritance to his family. As the head of his household, Job's diligence and steadfastness is something worth mentioning here this morning. Are you with me? So for just a few moments, there's a few things I believe all the fathers in the house are are called to do. And I'm going to pray for the fathers at the end of this message, and I invite everyone to be a part of that. But I want to give you a couple of keys that are very important. Number one, as the father, as, as Job was set to bless his children, we look at Paul urging Timothy to set a godly example, right? We look at that in Scripture in 1 Timothy 4.12. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to be a godly example. The same thing Job was, was attempting to be. Number one, he was to demonstrate. Everybody say Demonstrate. He was to demonstrate a godly example of what it means to be a follower of God Almighty. Right? So I believe dads, fathers, look at me for a moment. I believe you ought to demonstrate the mercy and the favor of God to your children. There are times I fall short. There are times I have to go to my children and apologize because I've not demonstrated patience. And can I tell you something? Men, don't be afraid to apologize. And this goes for mothers and women too. But it's Father's Day, so buck up and let's get ready for this. Are you ready? Number one, the idea is this. We need to demonstrate what it means to serve God. Let's stop thinking that somehow somebody else will do the job for us. Fathers are called to lead their children. The Bible tells us that in verse 1, that Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. This responsibility isn't just limited to fathers, but they are a vital example of authority. Fathers play a very important part in the home. They play a certain role. Fathers and mothers are both called to play a role in their child's life. And we're living in a culture here that tried to erase, they're trying to demasculinize husbands, fathers, and men. Listen, let me tell you something. That is the enemy's plan. He wants to take down men. I believe God wants to make men, men again. Does that mean they have to be abusive? over-authoritative, stubborn buttheads. No, that's not what defines a man. Some of you said, did he say butts? You said worse at some point in your life. Let me tell you something. Men are more than stubborn buttheads. When they're in line with the word of God, they can change an entire generation. Men who are called 
and step out in faith and demonstrate the goodness of God in their homes. Look at me. When you start realizing, men, who you are, your influence will grow. Your insecurity will, will flatten out. When you start realizing you don't need approval from everybody, just God. I answer to one man for my family, and that is Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. When I stand before him one day, actually I'll stand before the Father one day, and the Son would have written my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you know what he's going to ask me? How did you raise your family? As a father, I have to realize that I am the example. I am the role they're looking at. I am Jesus with skin on. Jesus is Jesus. I get it. But they're looking to me as an example. And that's a high, high, that is a high toll to pay. But I have to be very diligent in watching what I say and do because that is the example. I love my wife and I love my children. But I have to love my God first before I can love them properly. I got six amens and the seven one was a question mark. I'm Yeah, the woo was part of that. I think that was good. But I think the demonstrating who Jesus is in our life has to happen. Friends, the world as we know it right now, does, they're not demonstrating true godly men. It's hard to even find at times men that are willing to stand up. I'm watching footage on my screen of, of, of people getting beaten in the street and no one standing up for the poor and the needy. Where are the men? Where? Where's the demonstration? We have to stand up for what is right, men. Number two, Number two is gather. Gather. If we look at the, the, the verse, let's look for a moment at verse four. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. You see, gathering was an important part of that role. I love it when we get together as family. Some of you don't like getting together as family because there's so many different views and things. I get that. But can I tell you something? There's something very important about when you gather. And when the patriarch and the matriarch get together and they say, come to my home, or, or, or you get together at, at a family, so you realize that, that that patriarch, that father, when he gathers his children together, that right there is a sign of a godly inheritance. That is what you're looking at. And trust me when I tell you God is looking at that. He's looking for men who will stand at Right at the enemy's, uh, right at the line where the enemy's trying to make its way in and saying, you have no place here. Turn around and leave in the name of Jesus. You have no place here. There's no room for you. Men that will gather their family together and say, we are better together than we are apart. Yes, you won't agree to everything. You won't agree to who you vote for. You won't agree to all these things. I get it. But can I tell you, start focusing on what you do agree on. Stop talking about what you don't. Don't walk into that trap. 
Hello, got real quiet all of a sudden. Should I close in prayer before I start offending people? I'm telling you right now, we have a lot more in common than we have in disagreement. Most of us would be able to agree that we need to get together more with our family, the people we love, feast together, have our birthday celebration. There's people I only see at weddings and funerals. And some of you are like, good, that's the only time I want to see them, I tell you right now. Can I tell you something? A godly father will get the families together. Do what you can with what you have. And I realize every situation is different. But there must be a gathering of the faith together. And if you're a man of faith, don't be afraid to pray over the meal. Don't be afraid to step up and say, we don't normally pray. How many, let me ask this question across the board. How many of you come from a, a family line, maybe when you get together, they, there's less Christians than there are non-Christians. Like you're one of the few Christians. And raise your hand if that's you. There are less Christians and more non-Christians in your family gatherings. Okay, hold it high. I want to see, I want to make sure I get all the hands. Okay, that's a very low number. That's a very low number. But there's still some of you that are, uh, how many of you, you, most of your family's Christian, or at least they call themselves Christian, they're accepting prayer and things. Okay, so most of you, but there's some of you that you may be the only one, and I know what that's like. Can I tell you something? Be willing to step out and say, hey, I know we don't, normally don't do this, but can I pray for our meal together? Can I pray for us as a family? Most people won't fight that. Set an example. And if it's not set by the Father, maybe you, uh, maybe you set that example so that one day we will pray that that Father would receive Jesus and there would be a godly inheritance working that direction. Don't stop praying. I prayed for my mom for a long, long time. I was just talking to her the other day, and, I, and, I, and I, it was on FaceTime, so I, I looked at her and I said, Mom, I just want to tell you something. I love you, and I'm so proud of you. For many, many years, I prayed for my mom to come to Jesus. And now she's studying the Bible every day, and it thrills my heart. Prayed, prayed over and over and over again. And I know she, I know she loved God from a distance at times. I know she knew of God from a distance. But to know of God and to know God are two separate things. And there may be some fathers in the house today that you know of God, but you don't know God. Can I tell you something? You can't leave an inheritance of something you don't own. Listen, I can't leave you a company that I don't own. I can't write a company into my will and leave it to you when I don't own it. Can you imagine? When I die, I want to give you five Chick-fil-A's. Five separate franchises I'm going to leave to my children. I didn't know you own Chick-fil-A's. I don't. But I'm going to leave it to them. How are you leaving what you don't have? I'm going to leave them to figure it out. That would make no sense, right? You can't leave an inheritance that you don't have. So today, what I'm asking you is what kind of influence are you having on your family? And this is fathers, mothers, anybody, but, but, but mainly fathers. What are you doing? Imagine if our families got together and we didn't look at screens as much. If we didn't look at our phones, our tablets, 
The challenge is we can create memorable moments, but we're too busy having tech neck. Sooner, sooner or later, because you're scrolling, it's going to stay like that. Who got tech neck? Come on, somebody. Who got sclerosis? Come on, somebody. Your fingers hurt. You're like, I can't do it anymore. You start using your elbow. You know, I'm so tired. But I must not miss out. Right? You, listen, let me tell you something. What if we got together and we didn't become slaves to technology and we actually created memories that we could have to remember? Uh, last few times we got together as a family, we'd be like, at the end of the day, and Sherry could attest to this. We'd be like, oh, we didn't get any pictures. And we look at it and we go, oh, we didn't get no pictures. And then I think to myself for a moment, but we created memories. Can I tell you something, church? Fathers, create memories. Make a deliberate effort to gather and make memories. Third thing I want to tell you is simply this. As, as we talk about the things that Job taught us, that fathers are to create a covering. A covering. Here's what I'm talking about. That covering is a godly protection. That cover is a godly protection. Look at verse 5. When the period of feasting had run its course, Job made arrangements for, for them to be purified. You know what he was doing? He was creating a godly inheritance. He created opportunities for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice burnt offerings for each of them. Why? Just in case. He created a covering. More than anything, Job desired his children to remain close to God. He didn't want any sin to be hidden or public to come between their relationship. And so we realize to combat this, Job's sacrificed offerings. When's the last time you just came to the altar and said, Lord, I got a lot of things I can pray for me about, but I want to pray for somebody else. Job did that. And the Bible says that he did it consistently. That's why when the enemy came around and we were transported in verse 6 of Job, right? Chapter 1, verse 6. We're transported almost into another realm where Satan and God are talking. And, and, and God then refers to Job as his servant. Have you considered Job? And that's when we get into the big storyline that most of us know about. But most of us forget the first five verses or just write it off. But Job was a man of high character, a man who sought to cover his children in prayer. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Job knew that. He knew he had to sacrifice an animal so his children would be safe. He went about the father's business because he himself was a father in the business. It's easier to go about the father's business when you yourself are a father 
about the business. And that business was covering his children in the blood of that sacrifice, which we look at the New Testament, and now we know Jesus is our sacrifice. You with me? So very clearly, we're understanding Job led his children before the Lord, and he put them before God, and he, and he allowed them to, to understand that they themselves are a very important part. Now, while parents today don't need to sacrifice like this, please don't bring an animal to the altar this morning. Some of you that have animals in your home, and you're like, Pastor Tommy, Tommy, come on, let's go get it. And don't butcher anything. We just had the carpets clean, by the way, so don't do that. But how many are grateful that you don't have to butcher something just to ask God for forgiveness? We can go right to him because Jesus was the last lamb. He was the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. You can clap for that. You can clap for that. He took away all the sin. And so many of times this is what we do. Are you ready for this? We think to ourselves, look at me, everybody look here. We think, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring our kids, dress them up. Let's go to church, guys. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. Johnny, don't make me go back there. Kumbaya, my Lord. And we get to church, and we shove them in the direction of the altar. And we go, pastor, get them. Youth pastor, tell them everything that they're wrong. Because you know. And they, we dump them at the church and we think, let the church handle them. But did you know that from the age of birth to 18, parents have about 3,000 hours a year, uh, in, their, in the first 18 years, 3,000 hours to represent Jesus in their lives. And the church has about 40 hours. In a year. So as we look at it, let's look at it for a moment visually, just for a moment. When we look at, we look at ping pong balls. Here's a picture right there. Who's really influencing our kids? The little pot to the left is how many hours the church has. The, the one on the right is the ping pong balls of how much the parent has hours to be able to influence their kids. Are you hearing me? The influence is out. <laughs> it, it's unbelievable the difference. And we think for a moment that the church is going to be the ones to fix kids. When we look at the, the difference between the amount of hours that a parent has versus the amount of hours that the church has, who's the real discipler? Who's the real one training the kids? Yeah, you could drop them off and we're going to love them on, we're going to love them with stars and, and moons and, and, and all these planets. If you look at the church during this week, it's going to be crazy. We're going to have a great time blessing and loving these children. But guess who the real discipler is? Who's the one giving the real godly influence? It's the parents, it's the mother, it's the father. 
and friends. Look, look at me. Even if you have a sibling, the sibling plays a part too. So I need you to understand something. Don't think for a moment that we're going to be able to fix them when they go home and everything we did is undone because the home that they come from has no godly influence. Can I tell you something? My wife and I wrestled with that as youth pastors. We would meet every single Wednesday night. How about it, Leash? We would meet on Wednesday nights, and we would love these kids. And when they get to the, when they get to the parking lot, we would hear how their parents would talk to them and undo everything they just experienced. They would be around the altar weeping and crying. How many know we need to be around the altar weeping and crying? Not just for our children, but have our young people doing it too. That's why we need to send them to camp and let them experience time away from what the, what's normal in this world and, and just kind of get with God. And those times, man, I remember they would be around the altar and they would be crying and weeping and just going before God and say, Lord, I want to be, I want to follow you. I want to love you. And then they go out to the parking lot and their parents are swearing at them to get in the car you know you you didn't do this and you didn't do that and I was waiting out here for 10 minutes and they didn't they had no no real care that they just spent 10 minutes at the altar weeping because they smoked weed that week and they were feeling very very upset about that or they had an appropriate sexual contact with somebody and they were dealing with it that week and they would go out to the for, out, out into the car and they would, the parents would yell at them because they were 12 minutes late. Instead of saying, hey, what's going on? You okay? Uh, you were a little late. What was going on? Ask questions. They would undo it. And they would get into the car and be upset at their parents because they got yelled at. And now everything we worked toward. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know it seems like a real, like just a light example. It didn't happen with all the kids. But can I tell you something? It happens with every kid in some way if there's no discipleship happening at home. Because you're teaching by what you do more than what you say. Discipleship is caught more than taught. What are they catching from you? So let me ask you these questions. As you prepare, as you prepare to share the gospel with a young person in your life. Can I tell you something? As a parent, one of, the, one of the great things we get to do is we get to ask questions. So here's four tips that I thought to put this out there for mothers and fathers, especially fathers, because uh, sometimes the fathers are, uh, are kind of shamed as if we don't have feelings or emotions. But how many know men still have feelings and emotions? We just tend to hide them a lot better. Doesn't mean we don't feel. But there's a couple different tips that I found that this might be a help to somebody. Number one, pray for your child's openness to the gospel message. How many know we need to pray that this week? So when your kids go throughout the week, pray for an openness to the message of the gospel. And then you can be able to reply and help them through that. Number two, tell the gospel as a story and how it affected you. If you love Jesus and you follow Jesus, don't just tell them what the scriptures say. Tell them how it affected you. And maybe they'll know how to apply it to their own lives. Nobody needs to be hit in the face with a verse and not know what to do with it. You do a disservice to the word of God. Amen? But maybe show them how that verse impacted you be an example that way. Third one is ask open-ended questions as you go about your day. Sometimes we're at the table and we're like, device is down, shut them off. We're sitting at the table and we ask questions like, 
So what did you do today? Or what is happening in your life right now? What, and, and sometimes privately we ask them these questions. Why? Because we care. And we want to be an ear. But don't ask questions that they can say yes or no to. Did you have a good day? Yes. Nothing. Did you have a good day? No. It stunk. What was your favorite thing? Lunch. All right. Let's move on. Been there. And I understand that. But let's continue to believe that God can do something with this generation. Amen. Number four, patiently walk through this journey alongside them. See, I, was a, I knew a lot more about you young people before I became a parent. And then I realized it's a lot harder once you have children. Because I had a lot of answers as a youth pastor with no kids. I had a lot of answers. I was like, well, do you just do this? And I recommend this. And I rec all my recommendations were when I became a parent. And I was like, man, this is a lot harder. They got feelings and really weird emotions. And stuff is crazy. I love my children. When I realized that the only way I could love, the best way I could love my children is to love the call of God in my life enough to show them what that looks like. And that I can leave a godly inheritance to them because of how I live my life. So what are the three things we talked about today? What was the first one? What are we to do? Demonstrate. What is the second thing? Gather. What is the third thing? cover and we realize that when we become people who demonstrate the love of God gather together and cover them in prayer guess what everything else is left to the Holy Ghost to do what he has to do everything else is left to God to do what he has to do amen and how many know that we've done everything we can do when we demonstrate when we gather and when we cover them in prayer everything else is up to the Holy Spirit to do what he has to do but that's the job of good, godly fathers. Media team, help me out. I need all the fathers to stand to your feet for a moment. All the fathers in the house. Come meet me right here at the altar. Some of you are like, oh man, I thought you just wanted me to stand. You're halfway there. Come on, just come on up. It's okay. Come close. Come close. Don't worry, the star won't hit you. It only hits me. I shoot for the stars, people. I shoot for the stars. Come on up. All the way across here. I'm looking at a series of men from all different backgrounds. Not just pigmentation, but thoughts family lineage some of you had influences in your life that it completely changed the trajectory of your life others of you lacked it but you found Jesus somewhere along the line some of you more recently have come to Jesus in a personal walk with God and you're saying to yourself I don't know what in the world I'm doing right now I just know I love Jesus and I want to be an example. 
Can I tell you something? That's honorable still too. And so if you would allow me to pray over you today, what I want you to realize is however that looks in your life, no matter what background you come from, whether you have a godly inheritance on you or you're the first generation Christian in your household, that does not matter right now because the decision you're going to make moving forward is what's going to change what's happening in front of you. See, you can't change what happened to you, but you can have you can change what happens through you. You can't change what happened to you, but you can change today what happens through you. And so in your life, you have to decide what inheritance am I leaving? for my children and it goes far beyond a piece of paper that says this land this money on this account it's a lot more than that and I'm right alongside you gentlemen I'm right alongside you trying to figure some things out but here's what I realize if I can demonstrate Jesus in my life so can you because we're all fallen we're all imperfect we all need hope and as you demonstrate Jesus, do everything you can to gather the goodness of God around anyone that you have influence over. Because some of you are fathers and some of you are father figures in this house as well. If you're at your seat right now, you're not a biological father, but you have influence. I want to speak to you too. I want you to know something that while you may not be a physical father, a biological father, you have influence over somebody. And similarly, God is calling fathers and father influencers to step up and make a difference and make that godly example happen. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Those of you at your seat right now, ladies, uh, and whoever else is behind, and maybe you're not a father, you're a young man, and you're, you're trying to figure some things out, I want you to pray too. Everyone at your seat, stand to your feet, and just put your arms in this direction and pray for these fathers. All of you at the altar right now, if you're willing to, just lift your hands up, however you feel comfortable doing, to the Father, not to me, but to the Father, and ask Him right now in the next 30 seconds, ask Him, use me as a godly influence can you use me as a godly influence here I am use me I want to be one that is used for your glory I want to be one used in authority with your word father I pray right now in Jesus name that you would reach into these men's souls and their spirits, that they would recognize whose they are. That they're not merely flesh and bone, but they're spirit. And they're giving life or death in that tongue. May they speak life to those that they speak to that they have influence over, whether at home or at work or just somebody that they know. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would be a light in a very dark world. In a world that's trying to take their masculinity. In a world that's trying to redefine what a father is and what a man is. May they stand up for righteousness. Righteousness. 
stand up for what is holy and stand up for what is right and not try to be redefined by anyone because you have set both men and women in place and nothing else is acceptable. God bring holiness into each man's home because they are holy men of faith. Allow them to be influencers more than anyone on Instagram. Let them be more. Let them be more than those men and women on TV or streaming or YouTube channels that would speak life to this generation. Father, I pray, let the light of God shine upon them in the name of Jesus. Build these fathers up for your, your work and your will in this year. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.